I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Den of Geek podcast featuring commentary on the latest news from denofgeek.com as well as other behind the scenes content from your favorite movies, TV shows, and more. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is episode four, the early edition of G News for March 2018, in which we'll be discussing Stephen King villains, Wrinkle in Time, and a few other topics of note. And our bonus item in this episode is an interview with Jumanji director Jake Kasdan. And this was my first movie interview. We, we are known for our TV podcasts, Dave and I, so we're dabbling in new territory here, and I was happy to to be able to uh, talk to a movie director for the first time. And it was quite a conversation. So we're looking forward to sharing that with you as well. But let's go ahead and dive right in because there's lots of news in March. So let's get to it with our news segment. Well, Mike, you brought up film. So why don't we just jump right in and we're going to talk a little Dune here because like a lot of sci-fi nerds, I tackled Frank Herbert's classic science fiction series during my college years, and I guess I'm giving my age away because <laughs> it was only a trilogy at that point, but its impact nonetheless has really been powerful in the sci-fi community, and now that Legendary Entertainment has obtained the rights to the series, we're hopefully not going to have to wait too long to see if Blade Runner 2049 director... Dennis Villanueva can improve on previous attempts to bring Herbert's saga to light. So what we're talking about in this article, Dune remake will be at least two movies. The headline kind of says it all that that it's a tale that is so vast. Obviously, you can't really deal with it well in one film. No, no way. I mean, it was such an epic tale that was told in low budget form in a sci-fi miniseries, I believe back when it was still SCIFI channel and uh, really enjoyed that. So I can't wait to see what this great sci-fi director will do with it. Yeah. And that was in 2000. And I think anybody that's followed the series knows that there's the 1984 David Lynch fiasco, I think is a reasonable <laughs> adjective to apply to it and, but it, and it had sting david had sting it did have sting but he wasn't playing bass so <laughs> that didn't do much for me you know now visually there was a lot to like in it but just with the script and, and the dialogue and the acting it just uh, <laughs> yeah. you know hopefully it, it will go away but uh you know hopefully th that principal problem can be rectified by the concession that the first book requires two movies to tell the story. And Villeneuve understands the massive saga presents a challenge. So let's take a listen to director talking about the legacy of Dune. The thing is that, uh, yeah, there's a uh, David Lynch did an adaptation in the, in the 80s uh, mm -hmm. that has very strong qualities. I mean, David Lynch is uh, one of the best filmmaker uh, alive. I have massive respect for him, but uh, uh, when I saw his, his adaptation, I was impressed, but it was not the, the what I had dreamed of. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to make the adaptation of my dream. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like from that clip that it really is something that's in good hands. 
Yeah. Now, Herbert ended up writing six novels in the series, and his son, along with sci-fi writer Kevin J. Anderson, have continued to produce material. But the director also told fandom that the idea is to start from the very first book. But if you can't wait the two years it will likely take for the first film to hit theaters, check out Alejandro Jodorowsky's Dune documentary titled Jodorowsky's Dune. And for more Dune information, check out Dune Remake will be at least two movies by Den of Geek editor Mike Cicchini. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm sure that Mike is as, as enthused about this project as we are. And I can't wait to see as, as more news develops on that score because Dune is one, definitely one of my top favorites. But one of the other uh, books that really formed my reading in younger years even than Dune did is A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Langle. And of course, drawing a lot of people to the theaters is the Wrinkle in Time uh, movie. You know, notably, I guess they're trying to say, you know, it's got Oprah in it, but I don't know if that's necessarily the draw. It's just a great visual journey, I think, is is what it's really turning out to be. But there's also a little ingredient that adds a really cool twist for me and has really become this enticing ingredient. And that's the inclusion as a minor character of Zach Galifianakis, who is doing one of these turns that comedians sometimes do where they try something a little bit more serious and try out their dramatic acting chops. And I think this is really interesting because Katie Burt has taken this story of Zach Galifianakis's journey in this film and gone with the headline, why boys need to see a wrinkle in time. Now for me, I don't know if you need to convince me as a boy to go see a wrinkle in time because doesn't matter that it has a female protagonist. It's just one of my favorite books from my childhood, you know? So it's an interesting angle she's taken here. Yeah. And you know, I missed it completely again. I I remember the book, but for whatever reason, it just was never on my radar. Right. And the thing is, I don't even know if back then uh, boys would have had any kind of stigma reading this particular book, but Zach Galifianakis who plays the happy medium who actually is a woman in the book or actually I, I seem to remember it was kind of an indeterminate character but it was assumed that she was a woman gave a very important reason for why boys and young men should definitely see a wrinkle in time he's quoted as saying it's nice for young boys and young men to see that it's okay to have a sensitive side that means they're stronger to me i wish we could change that i come from a very masculine upbringing and a lot of people do and i love the way i was raised But looking back, we need balance. It's time for balance. I think that's what the happy medium is all about. And of course, they have that nice double entendre there. Now, DuVernay, who we talked about in our last podcast, does note that Galifianakis was one of the first people who commented on the importance of this film for boys and young men. And she says, we talk a lot about girls seeing the film, but Zach was the first person to say, this is something for boys too. Boys need to be able to see themselves as vulnerable and themselves being able to follow a girl and not always having to be macho. And so in the book, it was an interesting character for Galifianakis to play because it was kind of much different where she lived on a planet where everything had to be evened out into this kind of uniform gray color. And she's happy like her title suggests, but it seems that she gets that way through pretending that unhappy things don't exist. So I haven't seen the movie yet. I'm anxious to see how they put a twist on that because her cheerfulness in the book is not really of someone who looks at the world straight on and finds cause to be optimistic, but actually someone who kind of 
maintains a positive attitude by sticking their fingers in their ears and singing, la, 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 I can't hear you. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, obviously the novel was ahead of its time. And, and fortunately, the sci-fi world has really, I think, done a great job over the last five, maybe even 10 years of throwing strong female characters into the material that were presented. I mean, Hunger Games, Diversion. I mean, those are strong female characters that are leading the boys and the men. Right. And it's, I think it's time to get rid of that term, strong female character. They're just characters. And, and we don't need to really differentiate that way as for a girl's audience or a boy's audience just because the protagonist is one or the other. That's, that seems silly to me. But I'd like that Galifianakis, as a stand-up comic, is so proud of being in this movie. And in fact, he said at a press conference that he gets a little choked up. He says, I can't really talk about it without getting emotional. Uh, I guess he's just really proud of his part. And in fact, I just want to play a real quick clip from one of the publicity clips that was sent out by Disney to promote this film. Well, it's a, first off, it's a, it's a book that is a special to a lot of people. And uh, we're hoping that we, we've done the book some justice, but it is a movie, and it's a very special movie in its own right. Um, but I am just kind of excited to be a part of such a big uh, visual movie that has a, a bit of a message. So it sounds like he's having a lot of fun, and I've always enjoyed him in the comedies. So I really would, I'm anxious to see, even if his part is very small, to see what he does with this and whether or not it will be something that boys will flock to just as much as girls. Okay. Now, I know we all agree with you, Michael, that we should just eliminate the adjective female and just strong character or whatever. But that said, Katie Burt wrote a piece in Den of Geek, the best female time travelers in TV history. <laughs> I'm on board for this. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you had us at time traveler. <laughs> That's right. Right. Now, again, for many years outside of the BBC's Doctor Who, it wasn't all that easy to find a solid time travel show that sci-fi fans could really sink their teeth into. And fortunately, times have changed. Katie Burt's put together a list of 18 badass women who have traveled through time. Now, just right off the bat, I haven't looked at your list yet. Is Kira Cameron on there? <laughs> yes, she is. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. Now, as expected, Doctor Who companions comprise a huge chunk of this list. And my favorite among them remains Rose Tyler, played by Billy Piper, who was really great. Did you see Penny Dreadful, by the way? I've seen a few episodes. Is she in that? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I'll definitely have to check it out then. Yeah, well, I won't tell you who she plays then. But, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and then, of course, the NBC drama Timeless has just returned for its sophomore season. And Abigail Spencer's portrayal of traveler Lucy Preston continues that trend that we we're just speaking of uh, strong female leaders that includes Sarah Connor from Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. And as you mentioned, Kira Cameron from a show that's near and dear to our hearts, Continuum. Yeah, now that you mention it, I guess I didn't realize that we had so many to choose from. So it's kind of cool that there were enough to put an article together about it. <laughs> yeah, and now, as you know, I came to Battlestar Galactica a little bit late in the game, but, you know, I put in the work, including listening to each of BSG creator Ronald D. Moore's podcasts for yeah. the show. So when I heard Moore was going to be involved in bringing a series of time travel novels to stars, I was all over Outlander. Claire Randall most certainly deserves to be on this list. But what I really was surprised by Katie's list was the inclusion of Felicity. What? From the show Felicity. And now I was aware of Felicity in that 
J.J. Abrams worked on it before Alias, and I was just investigating his work, and I thought, no, this doesn't sound like something I want to take a look at. But I was surprised to see Carrie Russell's character on the list as a result of Felicity traveling back in time to see what would have happened had she chosen one guy over another. Oh, was it an episode maybe? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it was a series of episodes if, if okay. I read correctly. I certainly didn't see them, but that's just scratching the surface. If you're a time travel geek like we are, check out Katie Burt's article at Den of Geek titled The Best Female Time Travelers in TV History. All right. And and you're killing it with the segues here today, Dave, because one of the shows that involves time travel in one of its seasons is Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. In fact, the book that it was inspired by, by Douglas Adams, who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, also had a lot of time travel in it. And Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency on the BBC America channel is one of my favorite shows ever, even with just the two seasons that it had. And I was sad to see that fan efforts failed, unfortunately, to find a new home for it. Now, this is something we're seeing more and more often. Uh, we talked about Stargate a little bit in our Sci-Fi Fidelity podcast and even talked a little bit about it on this podcast as well last episode. And, you know, these fan efforts, sometimes successful, sometimes not, but it uses social media quite a bit. And apparently the showrunners are really getting in on it. They are trying to harness the power of the fans, but... Dirk Gently, unfortunately, on March 10th, it was just noted because it's been canceled for a while, but it was made official by Arvind Ethan David, who was one of the executive producers on the show, had to basically tell fans, you know what? We gave it a good try. We've been pushing the hashtag save Dirk Gently, but I have to confirm that the effort is essentially over. So as David puts it as frankly as possible, there just isn't a big enough audience for the economics of the show to work out. So sad to see that happen. But I just wanted to bring this article up that Joseph Baxter wrote because of the fact that, you know, this is the kind of thing that's happening. And I had a lot of emotion invested in this show. It's one of the most emotional shows I've watched. And, you know, David implored fans to avoid what might happen after something like this happens, which is sort of an indignation at the powers that be. And so he wanted to write this letter expressing his gratitude. And in it, he wrote, our partners are fans too. They supported us with a mixture of blind faith and fantastic enthusiasm and many, many millions of dollars that allowed us to make the weirdest show on television. And I love that they characterize it that way. But unfortunately, the show's ratings woes were always apparent. Dirk Gently debuted on October 22nd, 2016, which would be its series peak of 437,000 viewers, and it never reached that mark again. In fact, the season one average was at 287,000 viewers, which is just too low to sustain. And then season two, which actually in retrospect, its renewal was kind of miraculous in itself, concluded this past December at a diminished average of 249,000 viewers. So, you know, you just can't justify it at that point. But what a sad journey that that show has. But you know what? Season one and season two are each themselves very self-contained seasons and storylines. So they're still very much enjoyable should they show up on any streaming service that you subscribe to. So I highly recommend the show. Sad to see it go. Yeah. Well, no smooth segue for my final segment. Okay. Uh, and we're going to return to, uh, well, basically a combination of the literary and 
the film world. And horror master Stephen King is the topic of Mark Buxton's list, The Ten Greatest Supernatural Stephen King Villains. And I look, I'm like you. I'm a sucker for lists. And I think the, the villain that's probably front and center at the moment is, of course, Pennywise the Clown, who a lot of people may not realize arrived on the scene over 30 years ago. And the resurgence of King's classic horror tale, It, has returned this uber creepy villain to the public's consciousness. Uh, you, are you an It fan? Yeah, well, I haven't seen the new one yet. I definitely saw the earlier one. But I'm kind of anxious to see how the two compare because I've seen clips. In fact, do you mind indulging me here for a minute, Dave? Can we play a little clip of Tim Curry's Pennywise real quick? (laughs) Absolutely. Hi, Georgie. Aren't you going to say hello? Oh, come on, bucko. Don't you want a balloon? supposed to take stuff from the strangers. My dad said so. Very wise of your dad, Georgie. Very wise indeed. I, Georgie, am Pennywise, the dancing clown. And of course, that was the classic scene from the gutter where he offers the kid his, his boat that floated into the gutter at the opening of that movie. I mean, just a classic role by Tim Curry and reinvented, inviting endless debate among fans as to which one's the better one. <laughs> Yeah. And of course, Pennywise is only one of many supernatural villains in King's body of work. And, uh, you know, Mark Buxton put together quite a list. And, you know, my first encounter with King's horror fiction came in the form of Carrie. But the novel that really hit home and then, of course, the film that I think is still a classic is The Shining. Oh, yeah. And for me, it, it just changed. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The way I viewed the horror genre, because I was never a big horror fan, but something about The Shining just has stuck with me. And in that book, he brings the Overlook Hotel to life as a character and gives the readers much more than just a simple haunted house tale. So is Mark Buxton have on his list the Overlook Hotel as one of the villains? Yes, he does. (laughs) That's pretty cool. (laughs) It is very cool. Now, a more traditional character on Mark's list, Kurt Barlow from 1975's Salem Lot, allowed King's second novel to venture into the vampire world and force readers to consider the beast within rather than without. And it's a theme that, again, I just love it. It's something that gets explored 
But, you know, back in 75, I don't want to say King was breaking ground, but in contemporary fiction, certainly in contemporary horror fiction, he kind of was. Yeah, I mean, we kind of take it for granted now because it's part of the lexicon of horror movies and horror novels. But Stephen King did set the stage for a lot of that. Yeah. Now, another novel that, you know, as an English teacher, I really feel like it's a novel that deserves study. But because it is such a mammoth tome, it's probably a bit intimidating, even for teachers and professors. And that is, of course, The Stand. And Kurt has Randall Flagg, a.k.a. The Dark Man, The Tall Man, The Walking Dude on this list. And... (laughs) Uh, you know, he may not be Pennywise the clown, but I don't know. There's just something about Randall Flagg that, uh, wow. And I still can remember reading it for the first time when I was supposed to be doing something else, but <laughs> I was so absorbed in that book. Yeah, I wish that would get a good cinematic interpretation. I don't think they can, though. To be honest, I don't think you could interpret that and satisfy fans. Yeah, I, I think it needs to be a mini series again. And the mini series that we have, it was okay. You yeah, know, it wasn't yeah. great, but it was okay. But, you know, it's difficult to put a list of this magnitude together in part because King's so prolific. But Raggedy Man from Cell, the Leatherheads from Under the Dome, and Gage Greed all have left a lasting impression on fans. And unfortunately, the ill fated television series Under the Dome got off to a great start before getting canceled however still came up strong on the bad guy front so (laughs) yeah that's true you know if you're a stephen king fan come on who's not really check out mark buxton's list of the 10 greatest supernatural stephen king villains yeah and not only who doesn't like stephen king who doesn't like a good list and i'd like even just browsing through it and in fact my final piece is a list of the 25 games to play in 2018 Now, I feel like I can speak to this with authority, even though I'm not as knowledgeable as Matthew Bird is, who put this article together, because of the fact that these are games mostly that haven't come out yet, even if I don't realize some of the legacy that the sequels have that he mentions on his list. You know, some of these games sound really cool. And of course, I was a gamer, mostly MMORPGs back in my bachelor days, and then (laughs) somehow marriage got rid of that. I'm not sure that happened, but... A lot of these games I definitely would have played back in the day. And the first one is is my top choice of very intriguing sounding games, and that's A Way Out. Now, A Way Out was introduced at E3 in 2017 and then featured during this year's show. And it's a co-op action title displayed entirely through the lens of a split screen. So this is double whammy because I love cooperative games more than competitive games, maybe because I do better at them. <laughs> with the help of someone else. But also the split screen idea is really cool. And while the game's early sections will focus on completing sort of this elaborate prison break, later levels will seemingly cast both players as fugitives. And this split screen style allows both players to influence the events of the story, even when you're watching a cut scene or are otherwise indisposed. I just think this is a really interesting sounding idea. And this game, A Way Out, is coming out on March 23rd for Xbox PlayStation 4 and PC. And and he must have, I can't imagine what his gaming room at home must be like. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, my gaming experience is not at all like yours. I'm into racing simulation games. And yeah, come on, Matt, there's nothing on the list for me. 
Yeah, you'll see a common thread of the ones I chose. They're all kind of science fiction-y because I'm a sci-fi fan, obviously. And that's a good thing. Right. But the other one he put on, it's almost been eight years since the last Crackdown series in which you play a biologically enhanced super soldier agent taking out organized crime in a free form kind of city setting. And since those days, the open world genre and the world at large has changed quite a bit. So in order for Crackdown 3 to make some kind of impact, it's going to have to invoke the casual gameplay of the first two Crackdown games, which really kind of didn't really pioneer the idea of an open world where you get to just kind of do what you want instead of following a very linear quest. It certainly was one of the first ones to do it quite successfully. And for the third title to come so far after the first couple it's got some proving to do, but it's coming out in spring. No definite date for this one yet, but it'll be out on Xbox and PC. And finally, I have to mention the game Become Human, which comes from game designer David Cage, who already is kind of an eccentric personality from what uh, Matthew says in his article. It's got a neo-noir feel to it. It's a sci-fi thriller kind of game. It tells the story of a group of androids who are trying to rebel against an abusive society and the people assigned to hunt them down. I mean, that sounds like a great premise for a TV show, much less a video game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But Become Human figures to distinguish itself from its inspirations through a branching narrative and its more thorough look at both sides of this conflict. And it remains to be seen whether or not Cage's sometimes bewildering brand of brilliance will make this a truly special title. And if you want to read more of the other games that Matthew Bird recommends that you play in 2018, check out his list on denofgeek.com. But I mean, geez, that was a lot to take in. And I think we'll be sending a lot of listeners to the site to read those articles. Cause I mean, some of the ones you mentioned, Dave, that I haven't read yet, I, I definitely will be checking out based on your <laughs> description. Cool. But one of the movies that I highly recommend, and I never would have thought this would be true is Jumanji. Welcome to the Jungle, directed by Jake Kasdan. And this is a movie I wasn't expecting to like. I watched it just before interviewing Mr. Kasdan, and I loved it. It was like one of my favorite things. So here's a conversation I had with the director, Jake Kasdan, about how this show is being received, because of course it has made over $800 million at the box office, and it's about to be released on DVD. It's already out there on digital release and on-demand services, but it's coming out on March 20th on DVD. And I wanted to ask him a little bit about the DVD extras we can expect and a little bit more about this great movie. Hi, Mr. Kasdan. Thanks for joining me today. Ah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for getting on the phone. Yeah, it's uh, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. I'm very excited uh, to talk about it. Great ensemble cast and just funny all the way through. So, Thank you. That's great to hear. Before we get too far into some aspects of the movie that I'm wondering about, we've got this DVD Blu-ray release that's coming up yeah. on March 20th. So what are some of the extras that the audience can expect to enjoy? Well, there's a gag reel that I think it's short, but I think funny and <laughs> appealing. It gives you a little bit of a sense of what the guys are all like, what the four of them, the five of them are all like, and how much fun it was to make the movie. There's some really good making of pieces they, that they they did a nice, really nice job with, and I sort of worked with them on them a little bit. And then um, there's one that I really like, actually, which is we did sort of an in-depth, you know, like a five or six-minute piece about um, the rhino chase in the canyon. 
and how we did that. And I, I love that one. <laughs> Any director's commentary? Uh, you know, I didn't do commentary on this, but we put the time into this, you know, the little featurettes. Well, that's very cool. Now, the, since this version of Jumanji is based on a video game rather than a board game, were you at all worried going into it that traditionally, you know, video game movies don't necessarily do all that well? Or was it different since it's not really a real video game? Yeah, um, I think it was different. And I think that that was something that um, we talked about. And part of it was not so much for that reason. I mean, we were just trying to do this movie the most right way that we could figure out to do it. But, you know, I was very focused on not having the world of the game feel artificial. It was important to me that it feel really real, you know, and that even though they're in a video game and certain video game conceits and rules apply and sort of drive some of the drama and some of the comedy, what you're looking at, the actual imagery and sort of textures and feel of it would be just like you've been transported to a different place and now you're really there and it's real dirt and real sky and you know what I mean? Um, flesh and blood people. And it, that it would not have like a, an artificiality that, that a lot of times I think video game stuff has. And I think that was an important way of separating it from, from video game movies that have struggled. And also, you know, it wasn't a real game and we were doing it in a way that was literally self-conscious. You know, they're talking about the fact that they're in a video game all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it opened up sort of a different kind of sensibility. I think. And I think it probably also helps that you have such great characters. And in fact, some of the interludes yeah. from the adventure, such as Bethany learning how to pee or Spencer smoldering or Martha trying to flirt. Those scenes had such awesome pacing, okay. even though it must've been tough to decide how long they should run to not overdo it. Like for example, how much latitude were the actors given to improvise in those scenes and how hard were they to edit? You know, they were given the, a lot of latitude. There wasn't a ton of improv. There was some, I've done things that have had much more partly because even a lot of the stuff that seems rel like relatively straightforward dialogue, and it is relatively straightforward dialogue scene, but there's there's some digital component to, or, you know, effect component to a lot of it. Either we're some kind of set extension, or there's the four people talking, but then there's like these pop-up menus. You know, it just, it required a fair <laughs> amount of, just planning ahead of time. Um, but that said, they're brilliantly funny people. So, you know, you'd be crazy not to give them a little bit of room to make it their own and fill it out and give it sort of its own life. And they were great at that, you know. And now there were some interesting uh, decisions that I can only think must have come from the director's chair, such as having Van Pelt's minions on motorcycles. <laughs> I mean, it just struck the right tone, but yeah. certainly not your typical jungle vehicles and probably, yeah. I guess, very logistically difficult to handle in some of those scenes, right? Yeah. The idea actually was in the script before I came on and I thought it was a cool idea. It's true that it's not obvious, but I, I think like you're saying, it sort of just felt kind of right for some reason, you know, that it was, we, we would need to, expand out the 
palette in different ways to make it a sort of more complete world. And that felt like these rugged, almost off-road motorcycles were like an interesting, cool way of doing it. And it was just, and, and it does feel sort of video game, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> like something that might exist in a game like this. But then when you see it in real life, it's got a whole different kind of scarier, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're more threatening. And it was important to us that they be legitimately threatening, you know. Now, there's a small nod to the original Jumanji when we see Alex, who was stuck in the game for 20 years, living in a hut built by Alan Parrish, who is Robin Williams' character from the 95 film. Yeah. Are there any other touches from either that earlier film or maybe Chris Van Allsburg original picture book that you preserved? Well, our movie is very different from the original movie and even more different from the picture book, although the picture book is evocative of a feeling that I think infuses both movies, you know? Yeah. In terms of referencing the original movie, there are a few other little things in the imagery, and we have actually have a feature out on the Blu-ray that sort of talks about this, but um, there are visual details throughout that we're sort of referencing the original movie. Now, you come from an acting and directing family, so you're likely used to all sorts of film sets, and you've, of course, done a lot of television but this is your first big budget film. Do you think your wide and varied experience that goes all the way back to being on The Big Chill <laughs> and beyond is part of why this movie has cleared over $850 million worldwide? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think that, um, I mean, on some level, I think, you know, it all, all of your experiences, right, kind of amass to... It's like one of the things you are is the sum of your experiences, right? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely felt like this was radically different from anything else I'd ever done, but it was exciting and sort of exhilarating to be working in this mode. And it felt very surprisingly comfortable given how many new aspects of it there were. And I really loved making a movie like this that was, you know, for broader audience, you know, the first thing I've done in a long time that wasn't an R-rated comedy, which I also love, but it was great to just sort of change up the language, to have scenes that, in a really funny movie, but that, you know, hopefully a really funny movie, to have scenes that aren't entirely about comedy and, you know, different kinds of tension and different kinds of emotional content and like I loved the experience of it well we sure enjoyed it on the other end so thank you very much for uh, talking to me today about it I'm so glad to hear that thanks for saying it it's my pleasure thanks for talking alright so that was a fun conversation and again for my first director interview it was a lot of fun to sort of get in the head of someone who has taken this story and brought a vision to life that I think was difficult to do in a remake of sorts in this particular video game style that was quite successful. And of course had a great ensemble cast with the likes of Jack Black and uh, Dwayne Johnson and all the rest of the cast that just made this wonderful. Cool. Well, uh, you know, I still haven't seen it, but that's not surprising that it's one of those films that just doesn't, cross my path naturally let's just say no and it never would have for me either so i'm glad we got to check it out and hopefully you guys out there have seen jumanji as well 
But please be sure to visit denofgeek.com to read more about some of the stories we mentioned today. But that's going to be it for this installment of the Den of Geek podcast. Join us again in two weeks for the March 2018 late edition of G News, when we'll hash out the latest from denofgeek.com and share some more behind-the-scenes content from your favorite television shows, movies, and more. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. And thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.